morning, everyone. Um, if you turn with me to the passage in which today's teaching is based, it comes from Matthew chapter 13, and I'll be reading from verses 3 through 9 in 18 to 23. <clears throat> then he told them many things in parables, saying, A father went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, <clears throat> which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And this is God's word. <clears throat> a lot of people uh, are, uh, who are at Metro um, have been away from the church for uh, many years. And um, a lot of them are coming back to the church now. They're saying, yeah, I really want to grow spiritually. I really want to uh, just mature in faith. But what does that actually mean? Today we're looking at a parable of Jesus Christ about exactly that, what it means to grow spiritually, what it means to mature now, a parable is a story that contains irony, That's in, and that irony is intended to shock the listener in their day, in those ancient times, in this case, but from that narrative, you draw important truths about our lives today, about, our, about life and faith and, and uh, our spiritual character. Now, verses uh, three to eight, you have a farmer, he's, he's sowing seeds, and you see four types of soil, right? And Jesus says in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Later, uh, verse 3 to 8, it's a parable. Verses 18 to 23, he explains that parable. And he says in verse 19, when anyone hears about the kingdom. In other words, each of these types of soil represents a type of listener, a type of hearer. That means that each one of us falls into one of these four categories. So you've got to pay attention to figure out exactly which one of those soils are you. Jesus is saying this, my voice is the word of God. Another way of saying that is, the word of God is Christ's voice, and it's like a seed. It's got to be planted. Listen to me. Plant those truths, plant those promises, plant his words deep into the, the soul because faith, the power of the kingdom, comes through hearing. 
So we need to hear well. There are three things we're going to learn today. It's about the Word of God, the types of hearers, and how the power of the Word can get unleashed. You have the Word of God, the types of hearers, right? That's one of us. I mean, uh, us, all of us are one of those types. And the power, how the power of God's Word can actually become unleashed so you would be fruitful in life. First, we're going to look at the Word of God. The Word of God is a seed. The parable is very simple, verses 3 to 4. You have a farmer, he scatters seeds, and he falls on four types of soil. And that's pretty much it. That's a story. And verses 18 to 19, Jesus says, listen to what this means. When anyone hears about the word of the kingdom, in other words, the secret to the kingdom is what? It's the word. It's the word of God. That's, that's the voice of God. The word of God is the word of the kingdom, is the voice of God. And it's like a seed. Why? Seeds are small. They're very light. They're quiet. It's not like a hammer. A hammer is hard. A hammer comes heavy. A hammer comes loud. A hammer comes and smashes everything in its way. A hammer is outside in. It just brute force, just smashes things through fear and through subversion. But a seed grows organically. A seed is a new life. A seed starts on the inside deep and sprouts out. And it doesn't happen through subversion. It happens through conversion. Seeds on the outside are not very assuming. They're nothing special. No one sits there and, and, and puts a seed inside their treasure chest, right? But inside that seed, there is dynamic change that's taking place. A hammer is very imposing on the outside, very imposing up front, pounds its way through. But a seed, because change is internal, it's got to be buried deep. What does that mean? God's voice, God's voice, his word has tremendous power. But it shapes you only if you really take it in. If it's planted deep inside soil that is fertile, I say it another way. What's a seed? A seed is small and weak by itself. But inside that one seed, there's all the potential, all the power to grow and sprout into a redwood. And all that power is contained in that one single seed. It's like the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ, the king. He comes in weakness. He comes not on a throne, but he comes in a manger. He's vulnerable. Why? Because he doesn't come as the over king. He comes as a baby. He's killable. He's, he's, he's beatable, right? He's poor. He suffers. He's killed. And like a single seed, he's buried. Why? So that his true power, that dynamic power is activated and revealed to the rest of the world. Not despite weakness, not uh, despite weakness and suffering and humiliation and death, but through weakness and suffering and humiliation and death. Jesus is saying the person whose heart takes in the gospel and actually gets it will be transformed from the inside out and will grow deep roots and will go strong, transformed. There'll be power in your life. The purpose of the parable then and that's the ironic twist because the seed falls into these four types of places 
And people, through the ironies, are trying to figure out, have we taken in the word of God in a way that has shaped our lives? Have you taken in the word of God in a way that shapes your life? Do you get it? Do you really get it? You know, this is a question that's probably even more important for those of you who've been in the church than those of you who have not been in the church. Because if you've been in the church, you've been inundated with God's word. But have you taken it in? That's what he's asking. Now, because Jesus comes in weakness, even though he's powerful, he comes unassuming, even though he's transforming. He comes poor, even though he's king. It's very easy to miss him. It's very easy to dismiss him. It's very easy to reject him. And the reality is that there are many people in this room who grew up in the church and think that they get Jesus, but they actually don't. And as a result, we live powerless lives. What's Jesus saying here? You got to hear the word of God. Reconsider what the gospel is and plant his truths and his promises and his call, his word, deeper into your life. Each soil in this parable is an example of how then the gospel is actually taken in, how it's heard. And so that takes us to the second point. The first soil Uh, You see this in verse 4, and then he explains it, Jesus explains it in verse 19. It represents the hard heart, the hardened heart. It's the person to whom the gospel is attractive, but doesn't actually get in, and so it's easily snatched away. It's easily snatched away. So the the seed has no chance. It doesn't change you. It doesn't shape you. Not in the areas, at least, that are most important in your life. So really, the gospel has become just a mere supplement, an additive to your life agenda. You've got all these things that you value, and the gospel is just another thing. But when push comes to shove, the gospel becomes negotiable. The gospel is negotiable in your life because you have other real non-negotiables in your life. Maybe it's your career. Some of you, it's your wealth building because you feel like you're behind or maybe because you just like being ahead. Some of you, it may be your boyfriend. Maybe it's your girlfriend. Maybe it's your, your parents and their approval of you. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's just focusing on life is just all about the children. So you go to God to get things when you should be going to God to get God. You go to church and you read his word, God's word, and so there are touch points. There is contact, but there's no shaping impact because your heart is hard. And so it's your lifestyle that's more important to you. It's your relationships that, more, that are more important to you. It's your children that are the most important, the non-negotiables in your life. And so your soul has always been really inert to the gospel. And so you've got a godless You've got a godless church life. You've got a godless career. How, who you are in here is different than who you are out there. You've got a godless marriage, right? You can, two people sit in the same car, go to church together. That doesn't mean that you have a, God, a God-fulfilling, a God-centered marriage, right? You've got godless children, because of the way you parent is godless. A lot of times we tend to look at, we tend to look everything up in Google these days and there are scholars and commentators that are saying today that our reliance on uh, social media and our reliance on the experts that are online have become so overriding to the actual organic voices in our lives, the generations of people who've been through life, that we've almost kind of detached ourselves 
you know, and we really view that our society is just so different than every other society in the history of the world, when in reality, life's pressures, anxieties, your parents and their parents and their parents before them, they've already been through it. You know, it's, it's proportional. You know, you might have more in some cases, but it's still proportional. The wisdom and the truth is still the same. What does it mean to have a soft heart? Because if you've got a godless career, a godless marriage, a godless parenting life, a godless way in which you spend money, a godless sex life, what does it mean to have a soft heart? And that's when the gospel becomes more than just mere belief. An opinion is something you own. But conviction, faith, is something that compels you. It's something that owns you. It's when the gospel becomes more than just belief. It's when the gospel shapes you, owns your view of reality, owns your decisions, compels your decisions, becomes your reality. It's not easy. Not even always fulfilling. But you do it because it has become your reality. You embrace God's word and you say, this describes me. This describes my sin. This describes my life. This describes the way the world is. This describes how I can be rescued from it, from myself. On the one hand, you know you're coming to faith in Christ at the least because the gospel starts to threaten things that matter the most to you at one point in your life, maybe your desires, your treasure, the things that are non-negotiable. But on, but on the other hand, the gospel compels you to surrender these things. The gospel compels you to obey. The gospel compels you to give, not because it feels good all the time, not because it's fulfilling all the time, not because you'll be, you know, loved more, but because it's real. It's objective. It's true. If that hasn't happened in your life, it's because your heart is hard. The second type of soil, you see this in verses 5 to 6. Jesus then explains it in verses 20 to 21. Jesus is saying, beware of the shallow heart. In this case, the gospel moves you, but it still hasn't really transformed you. Here, the gospel brings you joy. You're moved. Your eyes are opening. You're brought to tears sometimes even. You see the ways that you do life apart from God. There's almost like a a disconnect between your lifestyle and what God calls you to, and yet you want to be a part of this. You've tasted the love of God. You've tasted the grace of God. You kind of see the beauty of Jesus, but it just hasn't gone deep enough. It's shallow in your life. There are no real roots. And what happens when there are no real roots? When the heat comes, the heat is suffering, the heat are trials, the heat are other desires that really start to weigh on you, anxieties in your life. It kills that movement. It kills your joy. When that opportunity comes, you take it. You're just easily drawn, easily distracted. So as soon as trouble and distraction and suffering come, you lapse. You turn away. You reject the gospel. You're pretty much dismissing it, putting it on the shelf. And so you've become powerless, powerless to your circumstances, powerless to your sinful desires. And what Jesus says here is, you ultimately, he says, you wither. You dry up and you wither. You see, the ancient uh, Middle East, they understood this when they heard this story because they, the, strong, the sun was strong in the Middle East, in the Near East. Very strong. 
And so the, they've seen flowers wither in a heartbeat. It's easy to see this when, you know, especially when things aren't going according to your plan. It's easy to see this when you have an agenda and you don't see it coming to fruition. Life is not necessarily shaping out the way you had imagined to do, that it would go. It's easy to go to Jesus when you need something, when you want something. But if you're not going to Jesus as king, if you're not going to Jesus as Lord and you're going to Jesus with something else as king, and as Lord, something else is at the top of your agenda, then you are the Lord, then you are the king. And the heat in your life, the trouble or the suffering, maybe sometimes it's even blessing. When blessing happens to your life, what happens? You get lazy. A lot of people say, I got lazy. I got spiritually fat. Why? Because sometimes that heat is blessing. And you got what you wanted. Your agenda has been fulfilled. You don't need Jesus anymore. I'm going to speak briefly to you. Um, we've got a lot of people in this room. I'm trying to look around for people who are older than me, not many. So I can talk to you like an older brother at the least, but let me talk to you like a father, okay? Um, it gets harder. It gets a lot harder. Life. It gets way harder. And the things that are most important to you, you can't accomplish like a good family. I mean, you can work at trying to set it up, but oftentimes we focus on the wrong things. The things that we think are gonna make a good family, you won't know till 30 years from now because you're planting seeds today that when they sprout up tomorrow, it won't be until 30 years from now you realize you planted the wrong seeds. How many of y'all been told, you know, that better study. Your calling is to be a student. You better study your butt off. Get to that college. Get, and you've been almost trained and, and, and reared in a way where it's all about do, 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 do. And you were brought up in the church that way. So you were guilted into things, coerced into things. And how many of y'all lasted in the church like that? That's not God talking. That's not the way. God, that's not his pattern. Because the pattern of the Bible is you can't, you can't, you can't. Somebody else had to do, do, do for you. That's not what you grew up with. Let me talk to you like a father and a brother. Okay? It gets a lot harder. And, uh, you know, I mean, I take Metro very personally. And so I really uh, and desperately appeal to you as a father and a brother in this church to... A lot of us come here because of the thrill of being in a new community and the thrill of being, experiencing the goodness of God in the context of worship. And that's maybe what you fed on all your life, but you need more than that. You need to see Jesus through the trials. And you need to see his word stand up through the trials. You need to see his word and you realize, wow, what he's saying makes even more sense when I'm suffering. It makes even more sense when good things are happening to me. It makes even more sense in the midst of cancer because I can't control my health. You see that? You can work at it. You can try to stay healthy. You're all going to get old. I wasn't born balding. All right? <clears throat> Stop coming to Jesus with the agenda. Come to Jesus as king. 
in this second soil, you may be moved to worship, you may be moved to pray, but you're not truly convicted, not in a way where it's gone deep, and so you're still distracted, you're still dismissed, dismissive of the gospel. It sounds good, and you agree with a lot, but it hasn't really penetrated deeply. So the seed hasn't gone deep enough because what you really want, what you really desire, that's actually deeper than as far as the gospel has gotten in your life. And so your sins, those deep-rooted desires, they're never really addressed. And what happens, the way you can tell is that when a friend or somebody in the church comes to you with concerns about your character or maybe your lifestyle, or you're easily dismissive or defensive. In fact, there's a temptation almost to withdraw from that person. If that's you, you're probably in this category. A lot of us go even greater extremes. There's anger, there's withdrawal, there's even retaliation. That's, the, that's what happens. Then it turns into gossip, and we've seen, I mean, come on. We're, a lot of us here, right? You've seen churches fall apart because of that, haven't you? If you want to know why, it's because you're still at the heart trying to save yourself. That's why we get defensive, because if I can just prove my point and get through to this guy and restore that person's approval of me, and the way to do it is to battle them and fight them and contend and, and show them all the examples and, and get my point across, if I can just do that, you're still trying to save yourself. God knows. God knows you to the core. At the heart of so many broken relationships, in the church and outside the church, is this desire to come out clean when you're supposed to just come clean. But because you're only using the church to fulfill like some sense of loneliness or guilt, and you've never really repented of the deep-rooted sins in your life, church, life, it just becomes more joyless over time. It's uninspiring, it's powerless. And you know what happens then, right? Maybe I need a change. Then you start to go somewhere else. And then after, it starts out great, and then the same thing happens. And it just becomes this cycle. And after a while, it never really gets to where it was before. It just gets worse and worse and worse. The third type of soil is verse 7. <clears throat> Jesus explains it in verse 22. And it's what I call the fruitless heart. This one's a bit scary. I think this is the scariest one for me. Uh, it's easy to see the first two is probably, like when I meet people like that in the church, I usually, uh, they're probably not Christians, right? I mean, who am I to truly know? But they're probably not. But it's really difficult to see this third type of soil. Because in this soil, the seed springs up. There's commitment to Christ. But over time, there's no power. It still ends up in the same place because, because of the worries of life, the deceitfulness of the world. What I mean by that is, you know, you see the way you're called to live and then you see the way other people are living and that starts to speak to you and say, that looks better. And you're, you're, you're not making this decision. It's not like there's, like there's a devil and an angel sitting on your shoulder and you're kind of fighting and arguing. It's not like that. It just gradually moves in this direction where, well, this is the way the world goes. That's what we say. That's the lie. We tend to think of the lie as guilt. You know, Satan's telling you you're not worthy. And that is a lie. Because clearly, God saw you worthy. 
Clearly, for some reason, there's value. Clearly, Jesus came to die for you. But the thing is, there are other lies that are much more penetrating, and that we see that every day. And what we do is, we tend to go and follow those lies. The worries and the deceits, these are thorns that choke the truth out of you. And as a result, there's no fruit. There's fruitlessness. And so the result, ultimately, is you end up looking like the first heart or the second heart, the first soil or the second soil. You're committed to Christ at first, and you may see your sin, and you may experience God's love and God's grace, but you're not relinquishing, and you haven't surrendered every area of your life. You're committed to Jesus at first. You're serving. You're doing community. You're just, just enlivened by these things. You taste the goodness of God in, in the reading and the hearing of Scripture, but those overriding desires to feel loved and accepted by other people, let's say, as an example. What happens in a sense, that need to win people over, their love, what happens is through maybe your good looks, maybe it's through sexual appeal, maybe it's through your status and your wealth, maybe it's your pedigree, your success, your accomplishments. We do that all the time. We're always boasting about our resumes. We're always doing that. You're not just doing it in a job interview, you're doing it to each other, in your homes. You're doing it to your parents. Because you want to give them something to boast about. You want your, your friends to look at you a certain way. So you're constantly building. That's why we do it. That's why we try to get into the right neighborhoods. That's why we try to get our children into the right schools. We're doing that all the time. Friends, it's like a runaway train. It gets harder. People will find all sorts of stuff to compare. At my age, what kind of health insurance you got? Health insurance, really? We do that. In a sense, um, these, what happens is you commit to subtle acts, little acts. That's how it starts. You know, things that people don't even see, and you dismiss godly counsel, maybe general counsel in your life, right? Godly counsel, maybe through preaching or whatever. Um, over time, that entitlement, that self-justification, it leads to even greater brazen acts of poor judgment. Why? Because the truth of God's word, it's truth. It's not a science book. It's not a math book. Guys, even math kind of changes over time. Even science changes. I mean, I was a chem and bio major in college, you know, uh, and I was, a, I was going for a third degree in political science. All three of them change. You know, there's, there are advancements today that we were only kind of talking about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, right? And that was not even my point. The point is those things are much more empirical, right? But the Bible talks about life and faith. It's, not tr it's, it's true about life and faith. Read any of your confessions. You know, if you went to catechism class, that's what, that's what those classes teach you. That the Bible is the infallible word of God about life and faith. It's never, in other words, God never lies about what he says. God's not trying to deceive anybody. That's why we call it truth. You ever wonder why we call it truth? That's why we call it truth. Because it is. It's real about life. And what happens is, the truth of God's word, his love, his grace, his calling, his mission, his lordship, his kingship over all, it all gets overtaken by your circumstances, your suffering, maybe these, these momentary blessings in your life. And, and it acts on your desires, and so other kings, other loves just start to squeeze and crowd Jesus out of the garden. And so 
Maybe you're enjoying life. Maybe you're even enjoying church. But there's no sense of mission. There's no sense of fruitfulness in your character. Now, it's discouraging, right? I mean, mean, it's defeating if you look at it like that. But Jesus doesn't tell this parable to condemn. He tells this parable to invite. Jesus is inviting you right now. We all have this opportunity after a long week to examine ourselves. In verse 18, he says, he tells the story, verses 3 to 8, and then verse 18, he says, now listen. I want you to sit and think and reconsider. Examine yourself. Apply this. To listen, he's saying, I want your heart to be fertile. I want you to let what I just said nourish you. I want it to make you whole again. What do I mean by that? To be whole is to be integrated, put together, brought together tightly. The root word of integration is what? Integer. Those of you who are math folks, integer means what? Whole, right? Integer means to, be, to have integrity is to be a whole person, not to be a person in fractions, not to be a person in pieces when things happen, not to be a person who's falling apart when things happen, when trials happen. A fruitless person who's all over the place, who's demonstrating big swings, big highs, big lows because of the heat, because of temptation, because of distraction, the weeds, the thorns, the trouble. That type of person is disintegrated, not integrated, disintegrated. And so you may be moved by the gospel. You may be moved, but when trouble comes, you take matters into your own hands, and you're choked by all kinds of worries and deceits. Those lies, you know what those lies are? You got to keep building. You got to keep pushing, and you got to do it. You got to do it on your own you're, because you're alone, and that might, part of that might be true, right? But you can get there on your own. You got to beat out this person and this person. You got to build. You got to consume. Take it for yourself. This is how you grow. This is how you bear fruit. And as a result, what happens is your relationship with God that was so life-giving, saving, starts to get choked out, starts to get crowded out. And it's the weeds and the thorns that start to take over. And it starts to consume your heart. And so what was once full of life or what was once giving life or what was once saving life starts to become lifeless and fruitless and powerless. And you're just left working and working and working because that distance from God becomes a disconnection from God. And then it becomes a disintegration of your whole self. A disintegration from the only work that can save you. Jesus didn't come and say, you got to do, do, do. He said, you got to rest, rest, rest. So now you are working. You are alone. You're working and working. There is the anxiety. You're working and working. You know why there's depression? Depression means I didn't get to where I thought I was going to get to on my own. And now I'm alone and I'm tired. And I don't want to minimize what depression is. But it's because we've held on to things that have crowded Jesus out. And we didn't get to where we wanted to be. Anxiety is the feeling you get 
when you realize you're headed there. How does the power of God's word become unleashed in your life? See, the soil's job is not to get rid of the birds or the rocks or the thorns. That's the job of the farmer. Only the farmer can do that. The seed's job, I mean, the seed is just in the soil, right? And the farmer's job is to uh, protect the seed. The The sower's job is to get rid of the birds and the rocks and the thorns. The father's job, the God's job is to do that. You gotta give yourself to him, submit yourself to him, surrender to him. Don't try to replace him. Don't crowd him out. And so when you read the word and submit to his word, submit to his word, when you pray and you're worshiping and you're engaging in community, community groups, submitting to the community around you, submitting to your leaders, when you're serving and, and uh, you're giving, and when you're immersing yourself in the truths of the gospel, you could do that in song. A lot of us listen to music. You could do that in word. You do that in prayer. You do that in conversation. Church has to be more than a social experience, friends. It's got to be a continuation of the life-giving truth that you're already hearing here. So you're giving yourself and you're immersing yourself in the truths of the gospel to remind you moment by moment so you are lost in his love. And when you do, there's going to be fruitful power in your life. Submit to Jesus and there'll be fruitful power in your life. Okay? Let's pray. No, 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 no. That's not how we end. That's not what we do. If that's what you've been doing, we, I mean, if you've been to Mexico a few weeks, you'd know that's not how we end sermons here, right? If, you're, if you've been going to church and living life thinking that that's the way you got to do life, that's, why, that's the way you got to do faith, there's a problem. There is the problem in your life. If you do that, you're just going to become one of the three other soils, And that's the diagnosis for most of the church in America. And we're seeing that now widely in the Asian church. If the seed of God's word doesn't go deep, it's just going to discourage you. There's definitely somebody in this room that is discouraged because we're still going. (laughs) Right? They're like, oh my gosh, there's more? Right? Where's the power? Where's the power for growth? Better look at the fourth soil. It's fertile. In verse 23, Jesus says, This is the person who hears and understands. The voice of God has entered in and it's gone deep. How? It's because it's not enough to know that God became weak, that the powerful became powerless, that the infinite became finite. You need to know that he did it for you. It's got to be personal. It's got to be for you. The love of God, the sacrifice of God, it's got to go deep into your life. In order for the word of God to go deep, I mean, think about it. You need to figure out, that means that you know that sin is deep. It's, it's got a hold of you. It owns you. Then your knowledge of God's love for you has to go even deeper than that. 
That's the only way you can uproot it. You see that? In John chapter 12, Jesus Christ enters into Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. And everyone is lifting him up, holding him up as, as king. But this is what he says in response. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, he remains only a single seed. But if he dies, he produces many seeds. What is he saying? I am the seed. Jesus is the seed. And in order for me to go deeper into the core of your souls, the core of your motivations, in order for me to go into the hard heart or the shallow heart or the thorny heart, the hard soil, the shallow soil, the thorny soil, I need to come down. I need to fall to the ground. I need to die. I need to be buried. My kingdom will flourish not through strength, not despite my weakness, but through my weakness. Not, I'm not going to come with force like a hammer. I'm going to get hammered. And so Jesus Christ doesn't come in a throne. He comes in a manger. And he came down, and he died for our sin, for our salvation. We are invited to be his fruit. How? You have a hard heart? On the cross, Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, God had turned away from his own son. God had hardened forensically against his son. And yet, do you know that on the cross, Jesus not once, not one single ounce of hardness towards God. He remained soft. He trusted God. His last words were, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He was actually reciting Psalm 22, which begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And ends with, for he has done it. It is finished. Which Psalm 22 is one of the most prophetic, if not the most prophetic psalm about Jesus and his suffering. That means that to the end, Jesus had planted the word of God deep. That's what came out of him in the peak of his suffering for you or me. He was remembering scripture. That means that the voice of God, even though God had turned his face from him, the voice of God was still alive and working in him. His promises. That's all he had, the promise of God. He had all of scripture, the Old Testament, and he had God's promise to be faithful. That's what he trusted. In the midst of, I mean, all around him, the visible reality was what? He lost, defeated, death. And so he was fulfilling scripture, and he did it for you. Knowing that Jesus remains soft while the world and God had turned from him, that should move us. That should soften a hard heart. You have heat in your life on the cross. The wrath of God is pouring out on Jesus as a penalty for our sins. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And part of Psalm 22, as he was reciting that and remembering and applying it in his own life, there's a one part that says, my, I'm dried up. In other words, I'm withering away. My power is gone. Jesus Christ took the heat, the suffering, the persecution, the wrath of God for our sins, and yet, to the end, he remained faithful and fruitful. There was fruit. That was his character that came out. To the end, to the death, he was forgiving. 
filled with forgiveness. He's talking to the criminal that was crucified next to him, and he says, you today, you will be with me in paradise. He looks over just with great love and forgiveness. While he's dying, you know what he's thinking about? While he's dying, he turns to Mary. He turns to John, his disciple. He says, John, here is your mother now. Mary, here is your son. That's what he says. To the end, he's not thinking about, oh, the pain, and and God has turned from me. And while that was happening, he's saying, Mary has to be taken care of. John has to be taken care of. That is Jesus' love for you. We're so worried about what's next for us. Place your trust in Christ. He's thinking for you to the end, at his worst And now he's glorified to the highest. He's still thinking and praying, do you know? Interceding for you. To the end, thinking for others. To the end, thinking for you. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. You know why? For the joy set before him. What kept him going, in other words, was you. You were the joy. That's what kept him going. That's what enabled him to endure. That's the heat and the suffering in his life, and that's what was revealed in Jesus. There is the ultimate love and approval that we've been looking for all our lives. And so his word is trustworthy. His word is good. You got thorns in your life? You're choking? Even before the cross, at Gethsemane, Jesus Christ, knowing what he's about to suffer, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with trouble to the point of death. You know what he's saying? I'm choking, guys. I'm choking. I'm suffocating because of the, the, the overwhelming nature of what I'm about to endure. He didn't just die on the cross. His soul was dying at Gethsemane, essentially. And yet, he prays to Father, not my will, yours be done. To the end, faithful. To the end, fruitful. You feeling choked by anxieties? Your doubts? Jesus got the thorns. He got a crown of thorns. Literally on the cross, you're dying of suffocation. He was choking on the cross, knowing that he was faithful for you. And he bore the thorns for you. And he was focused and thinking and set you as his joy, never wavering. In other words, he was whole, integrated as his body was being torn apart, as his body was disintegrating joints and everything, disintegrating his body, his soul, even the Trinity. God had turned away from him. So the Trinity was being ripped apart forensically for you, and yet he held together. He held together for you so that you would be integrated to the Father in him. We call that union. That will give you the power to cling to him. You have rocks in your life? He was buried behind one. You got thorns in your life? He wore a crown of them. The world says, you got to try harder. You got guilt in your life? You got to work it off. You, got, you want to be acceptable? Well, then you've got to live acceptable. You've got you to do all these things. You've got to accomplish all Do whatever it takes. Step over people. Put them down as long as you keep going up. Jesus says, stop. Plant my truth and my promise deeper. 
And the seed of the gospel will build in you a character and heart to trust and love and serve, and you will yield fruit. Whose voice are you listening to today? What voices are in your lives that you are hearing and listening to that is louder and crowding out the voice of God in your life? And how deep has that gone? Plant the gospel deeper. It's an invitation. Plant the gospel deeper. And you'll watch it change you and shape you. Other people will validate it. That's what the church is for, to validate that change, encourage that change. Look to Jesus. Look to his cross. You will bear a lot of fruit, 160, 30-fold. Let's pray as we prepare to come to the table.